Today we will begin with the metta practice or the loving-kindness practice. Can you hear me back there? Okay. And we'll be doing the metta practice, the loving-kindness practice, for the next four days. And then we will proceed on to the other practices of the Brahma-viharas or the divine abodes sympathetic joy, compassion, and equanimity. But before actually practicing, I'd like to speak about the benefits of cultivating loving-kindness or metta and the aim of the practice so that we can practice with understanding and interest and so that our motivation will be clearer and will have a correct motivation for the practice. Metta is a Pali word. Pali is the language that was spoken by the Buddha during his time. It's an ancient word which means friend. And really metta means in its simplest form to be a friend to ourselves and to others. Metta wishes for the welfare and happiness of ourselves and others. It keeps our practice connected to the heart. And as many of you have probably come to realize for yourselves already that there can be many practices that we do, spiritual practices and other practices, and it's really not worth its salt if it isn't connected with the heart. So this metta practice is one of the four Brahma-viharas. Brahma-vihara means divine abodes, or it could mean divine emotion. And these abodes are no place other than in our own hearts. One of my teachers, taught us that it's the only four emotions worth having, really. Uh, there are other, many other emotions, of course, that we experience in life. But if we just have these four to respond to any and every issue that arises in life, we would be just fine. Our lives would work out very well. But an Fortunately or unfortunately, we have many others to work with. In the time of the Buddha, he, ca he gave metta as a protection practice. Metta, or loving-kindness, protects us from the forces of fear, anger, resistance, or any of its many different strands. These are contractions of the mind and heart when the mind and heart closes down. When we speak of mind in this practice, we also mean heart. And when we speak of heart, we also mean mind. There is only one word for this, citta, means mind or heart. The other protective practices that the Buddha gave were reflecting on the virtues of the Buddha or Buddha nature, which is our own nature, reflecting on death and reflecting on the unbeautiful aspects of materiality, 
of our bodies and of the world. So metta is one of the four protective practices. It's of the 40 practices that the Buddha gave, this is one of the four. It protects us from one of the most deeply rooted hindrances or toxic hindrances, and that is hatred. The Buddha said, hatred can never cease by hatred. By love alone can hatred cease. This is the eternal law. We can see that in our own lives, but it's very difficult to do. This particular practice really helps us to put a light on that whole area of our hearts and our lives and to see how are we doing there? Can we do better? Can we put light on a part of our hearts that can open to life, that can receive life in a safer way? What metta does is it helps us to lessen the forces of hatred or any of its different strands so that we can work with it in its lesser form, its lesser uh, energy. And so we begin to learn how to work with the forces of uh, resistance, the forces of fear, of hatred, with more of a balance. It doesn't uproot it. It simply lessens its force or allows us to be more balanced in metta. In the past years, we've been doing a lot more metta practice. As a yogi myself and as a teacher, being on both sides, I see how beneficial it is. Uh, it takes a while for metta to get rolling when we're actually doing a long metta practice. But I see in some 10-day courses that I teach of metta that people begin more and more to trust themselves, to trust others, to feel safe uh, in life, their own safety, and feeling their own safety, their own sense of feeling reliable, that they can rely on this force of metta to carry them through, there's a greater sense of safety in other situations of life. So we begin to see people become more courageous with the practice and with life, and also more luminous. Very many uh, shining faces and light bodies. It's, it's difficult to to realize that at the beginning of a Vipassana course, but it does happen. We find a lot of a sense of um, feeling fractured when we come to practice, feeling not quite whole, because we only see the um, unworthy part of ourselves and others. But as we practice more, we begin to see what's worthy in ourselves, what's worthy in others. We begin to see the goodness more easily, more readily. This is a big shift in our practice, when we can see the goodness of ourselves and of others. 
it helps us to feel like we're standing on a sturdier foundation. As I've studied the Buddhist psychology, which is very little, uh, but as a beginner, when I looked at it, I saw in the uh, different states of mind and states of consciousness that all of us have, and I've learned from just observing it myself, that there are many, many more states of mind, states of consciousness, of heart, that are based in the reliability of goodness, of uh, concentration, of um, beautiful states of mind. But we seem to kind of cycle and circle around the difficult states of mind over and over again. And it's very, very challenging to learn how to remove ourselves from that strong gravitational force around unwholesome states of mind. When we do metta practice, we learn to sort of um, release ourselves from that very strong pull away from these unwholesome and states of mind. What happens when we do metta practice is the constant repetition. We repeat four phrases. I'll teach you them at the beginning of the practice, but you can be creative and do your own. We repeat certain phrases over and over again, and we repeat them uh, opening metta to certain persons. We sort of concentrate on one person at a time. And this kind of repetition collects and unifies the mind. So metta is a, it's a uh, mindfulness practice. However, it employs a lot of concentration. What concentration is, is continually connecting and sustaining our attention with one particular object over and over again. This particular object is loving-kindness in this practice. What we do is we direct our attention towards loving-kindness over and over again, using certain phrases and a particular person. Now, we're not going to feel particularly loving in the beginning, or maybe throughout this four days we won't feel particularly loving or the kind of feeling that we think we should have. And a lot of times it's because we're just uh, cultivating concentration, this collecting of the mind, the unification of the mind. We develop a kind of evenness of mind and heart, a settledness of mind and heart. So you don't particularly feel the um, what some people feel the, as a gushy warmness or uh, the um, uh, mushiness sometimes that people think one should have with metta. Actually, that isn't it at all. It's a very even sense of well-being. And it cultivates a very powerful concentration in the mind so that we're able to do the vipassana practice the insight practice, which we do 
all the rest of the day with more ease. It's more easeful because metta practice steadies the mind. It helps to rest the mind. And you need this steady restfulness in order to open the mind in vipassana, in insight practice. Much of the time, it's difficult for us to open an insight practice because we don't feel a sense of safety because of what the conditions of our life are at the present moment or what they've been in the past and how we project that out into the future. A lot of times I see in the ongoing of um, sharing the Dharma, which is a, a learning experience for me, and also being a yogi, that we can feel the most safe when we can take shelter in our own goodness. And oftentimes we can't feel like we can do that because the opposite has been pointed out over and over again to us. Or we put our attention on the difficult qualities that we um, feel that we need to transform. So much of our attention in our lives is focused on our difficult qualities or challenging qualities or the challenging qualities of others. And we don't give much time to our goodness or to the wholesome, beautiful qualities of ourselves. So this practice really helps us to feel more safe, to feel that we can rely on our goodness. We can rely on the goodness of others. We can't really rely on the goodness of others until we can rely on our own goodness. So it really makes our mind and hearts more reliable. More reliable in the sense that we can know that in any instance in life, we can access loving kindness. It doesn't blind ourselves to where the danger is in life, but it helps us to know that we can access that. Oftentimes in life, we're so busy. Life pushes and pulls. Uh, don't allow us to give ourselves a time to just know that if we take a little time, if we settle in a little bit, we can rely on some goodness within ourselves and connect that to a goodness of some other being. When I wake up in the morning, often my mind is full of what I need to do and what I haven't done yesterday. And no matter how much I practice, I realize with a lot of compassion how difficult life is. And um, I feel that I don't give myself enough time sometimes to do the practice as often as I would like to. I, pra I am able to sit a lot when I'm teaching, and so when we go home, there's a lot of things to do, and I can't uh, do them fast enough. It seems to pile up faster than I can finish them. And in the mornings, I wake up kind of looking at my list and 
I'm trying to make my phone calls and this and that. Recently, when I was at home for about six weeks and Steve was away doing a self-retreat over in Barrie, Massachusetts, we decided that every morning at a certain time we would sit and do metta at the same time and connect with each other in that way. Steve being um, feeling very responsible even when he's gone, I said, well, all right, let's do that and it will put your mind to ease. And so we sat every morning at 6.45 my time, which was 12.45 his time, and we we practiced metta. And, you know, sometimes I would send metta to him during that time period of about a half an hour. And during that time period, send metta to everybody else, too. And so at the beginning, it was hard to do, because at 6.30 was a time when I drive our daughter to, to the bus stop and drop her off. And I get back just in time to get to my sitting cushion. And then at, uh, uh, so probably about 6.40, I was rushing back to my sitting cushion and passing the desk where all the telephone calls were that I should respond to and all the letters and all the, um, the shopping, the coupons that I cut out to buy this at a discount at this store and that. And so I'd be watching that as I go by. Oh, no, I have to do metta. Oh, but I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And the mind would be just full of this sense of urgency all the time, of needing to respond to all of that other stuff in life. And it would really take me time to sit down and access that part of myself that didn't feel anxiety, that didn't feel pressure. and. Um, <laughs> it was really hard. You know, as much as I've done this practice, I just know it's so hard, and I have a lot of compassion for everybody who does this practice and opens to trying to access that part of ourselves that feels safe and reliable. So it took a few weeks, really, before I could just look at it and pass it up and feel that the most important thing was sitting on that cushion. And it took really a few weeks before I really began to notice that at about 6.44 or 6.43, instead of saying, I've got to make that phone call, or I'd better write that letter, oh, when am I going to have time to get these um, uh, these apples that are only 39 cents a pound, when I could start to feel metta coming on and feeling myself just spontaneously saying, may you be protected. May your heart be full of loving kindness. May your body be healthy and strong. Or may my body be healthy and strong. And when I began to hear myself say that very spontaneously and not feel the pull of all those coupons and telephone calls, it was such a relief to know, gee, I could access that part of myself that was really more settled and less anxious. So it's a very important 
part of our practice to access those reliable parts of ourselves which can lead to wisdom, to be a friend to ourselves, open ourselves to goodness. It has a tremendous force when we access it on a regular basis. Recently, I came across a quote uh, when Isabel Allende, a very famous best-selling author, said in an interview, she was speaking on midlife and the realizations that we come to in midlife. She was speaking of women in particular, but this can relate to anyone, men or women. She says, by that time of midlife, a woman or man knows that love is work. It doesn't bloom like a flower in the desert by a miracle. It is something that you work on every day. So this is not something that's just going to bloom and be forever blooming for us. We continually have to work on this, on opening our hearts. So the phrases that we'll use, I will repeat to you, but many of you have done the practice already and you may um, have your own phrases. So I'll say one phrase, but please continue with your own or repeat the phrase that I have said if you feel better that to do it that way. And we'll be working on different persons. The first person that we'll work with is ourselves. But if you can't work with yourself because it just doesn't feel um, that your heart can open as readily to yourself as the second person we work with is the benefactor, then you can try working with the benefactor first. So just take a comfortable position it's important to be comfortable. It's also important to be still in the practice because when you move too much, you lose your concentration. When it gets really uncomfortable, allow yourself to move so you don't have to sit with a lot of pain. But try to be as still as you can in moving. Or if you can stay with the discomfort in the body, without uh, distracting yourself, you can do that too. Just stay with it as long as you can. We begin with doing a little bit of forgiveness practice. It sort of helps to clear the cobwebs in the mind and heart. bringing the attention first to the body. You might bring the attention to your heart center. If that doesn't feel comfortable to you, you can bring it to a place in your mind and heart where you remember someone that you feel very safe with. It could be a relative, a friend. It could be the Buddha or Christ. 
could be the Blessed Virgin Mary. Wherever you feel safe to put your attention and let it rest there for a while. And then allowing yourself to remember all those persons or a particular person that you may have caused any hurt or harm to. Directly or indirectly. Not just by a deed, but even by your thoughts or words. And allowing ourselves to know how it is to feel hurt. And in our own ways, asking that person or persons for our for their forgiveness please forgive me for hurting you And then allowing ourselves to remember as much as we feel protected in remembering all those beings or a particular person that may have caused us any hurt or harm. Giving ourselves permission to keep a distance from anyone we don't feel safe being around. And as much as we can, sending our forgiveness to that person or persons. As much as I can, I forgive you. and remembering ourselves as well, forgiving ourselves 
allowing ourselves to be human. Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves because we can't forgive others right now. Forgiving ourselves for all those times we have hurt others. As much as I can, I also forgive myself. for all the times that I have felt unworthy. For all the times I've made mistakes, acted out of not seeing clearly As much as I can, I accept myself just as I am. And then beginning with oneself, if you can, remembering our own goodness, certain qualities about ourselves that we find strength in, our courage, maybe it's patience, And then sending ourselves this metta, or opening our hearts to metta for ourselves. May I always be protected from all harm. May I be safe. Continue to envision yourself as you are now, or if it's helpful, as you were as a child. And repeat the phrase as often as you want to.
keeping a continuity. May my heart be filled with loving-kindness. May my body be healthy and strong. May I live with ease in this world. yourself if you want to, or moving on to the next person who is a benefactor. A benefactor could be someone that you very easily respect and have appreciation for. choosing someone, and then reflecting on that person's good qualities or a particular incident, you may know this person or it may be someone like the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa. Repeating the phrases at your own pace. You can choose any one of them, or two, or all four. May you be protected. May your heart and mind be filled with loving kindness. May your body be healthy and strong. May you live with ease in this world. Send this person metta in your own way. Bringing our attention back to that place in our bodies where we feel our heart center, or that place in our heart-mind where we remember someone we feel safe with. And from that place, sharing whatever metta we feel with all the other persons here in this room. 
allowing this metta to extend or radiate to all different directions here, touching everyone in this room as much as we can. It's radiating our own care for well-being. May all beings here always be protected. May all beings here know loving-kindness in their own hearts. May all beings here be healthy and strong. May we all live with ease and harmony. Well, they say, you know, when you have, uh, that anger is like a coal. Yeah, you know, when you pick it up, it, you're the one who feels it. Yeah, it burns ourselves. I can say that from a lot of experience, not, not from a judgment point of view, but just from feeling that. Um, so really having forgiveness for ourselves is more, it's more in line with compassion, because with the compassion practice, which we'll do after this <coughs> metta practice, it really f opens us to suffering, which is what we do with the, with the forgiveness in the beginning. It opens us to suffering a little bit. So if we can work with that kind of tenderness towards ourselves, whenever we're doing any of this practice and we know that it gets too overwhelming, to just skillfully back off. Sometimes I think that we suffer so much and we feel the hurt of it so harshly from that suffering, whether we were abused or the suffering that comes because we've hurt others, that in, in wanting to let it go, we sometimes want to let it go so quickly that we don't watch how we're doing it, so we kind of, you know, force it on someone else or project or what all the things that we do to, to let go. And this whole practice is skillfully knowing how to let go, you know, how to accept that, open to that suffering, and to let it go um, in a wise and skillful way.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.